Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we're asking for your Holy Spirit to come among us. We ask, dear Lord, that you would open our minds and hearts to this kind of challenging passage. We want to leave here this morning taking away what you want us to know. And I pray most earnestly that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together will be acceptable to you. For you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. There is a section of Los Angeles, Westwood. I used to live there, and that's where the previous church I served was. And that was an area of town called Little Tehran. Because at the time of the deposition of the Shah of Iran, a whole bunch of people, kind of affluent Persians is what they called themselves, came and moved into that part of the city. And they were quite secular. I don't even know if most of them would call themselves Muslim. That kind of wasn't the issue. But we, they were very noticeable in the community because there were very obvious cultural differences. And one that got my attention is that the Iranians would walk down the sidewalk five abreast or six abreast, mostly men, with their arms linked, and it would kind of cause jams on the sidewalk and pedestrian problems. And I was finally told by one of them, you don't understand. It, this is something that we've had for centuries and centuries. We want everyone to feel equal. There is some, something shameful about making someone follow you or someone would feel too important if they were ahead of you. So we are all one and we're walking together arm in arm as a gesture of our equality. Don't make anyone follow. And Jesus said to a group of Middle Eastern men, actually two by two, one by one, follow me. And without blinking an eye, without a second thought, they were compelled to follow him. Without a thought to anything, they were so compelling. And they were not his peers, and they knew it. And they were not his equals, and they knew it. And they followed the Lord. And here's something that leapt off the page this time they followed the lord and jesus himself was following tradition jesus followed the tradition of the jews and on that day on this scripture that we're looking at he went to the synagogue jesus was a radical an iconoclast who acted in ways that skewered tradition, yet he followed it. Because as long as we're in the world, and as long as we're in community, we cannot amputate tradition from our lives. When we try to do that, the consequences are not good. We exist because those who came before us have passed down elements of the faith we didn't happen in a vacuum christ honored tradition until it became got to the point where he couldn't anymore or be killed hebrew tradition 
and tradition honored strengths, core muscles of the faith. So Jesus went into the synagogue, as was the tradition for Jewish males on the Sabbath, and he opened his mouth and he began to teach, and the people were amazed. And a better translation is that they were thunderstruck because he taught them as one who had authority. But it was not the kind of authority that the leaders of the law had, the ones who usually talked, because they just used a form of religious scholarship as their authority. Tradition was needed to serve as a backdrop and a context for the presence of God. And when Jesus spoke, they were thunderstruck. And in that place, at that moment, they were hearing something previously unspoken. No one had ever heard this before. With authority and power previously unexperienced. Just then, a man in the synagogue, possessed by an evil spirit, began to scream. Now, almost every time period in history and every culture seems to be more comfortable talking about evil and evil spirits than we are and especially as Presbyterians I can honestly say I don't remember ever hearing about demon possession in the Presbyterian church and I'll be honest with you this is the lectionary reading this is what we were given to look at today or I wouldn't have picked it but the fact of the matter is, this is the main thing that Jesus did. Cast out demons. What are we supposed to do with that? I remember talking to my mentor, one of my mentors, who was a seasoned, grounded, grace-filled pastor, and saying to him, please tell me there's no such thing as embodiment of evil like demons. Please tell me. And I was um, a marriage and family counseling student at the time. Please tell me that evil, and this is what we learned, the psychology of it, is a projection from an unstable internal condition. And he said, every time I deny evil and its manifestations, I run into it. He warned me to never make evil a theme in life. Don't go looking for Satan behind every door. We have Christ who is more powerful than anything. And we're not dualists. We don't have two gods, the good God and Satan. No. But we can't ignore it either. So how can we deny evil in a world where there is genocide, torture, and persecution? I just saw it on CNN again this morning of a Japanese person being beheaded by ISIS. How can anyone say there is no evil or that it's just an internal condition projected outward? And we see that scripture has the power of Christ to really stir things up. The more powerful Christ's presence, the more disturbed the demons become. And that's just what is in there. Pieces and shards of energized evil attack and become embedded. We carry 
the consequences of evil in our life with us. There are hurts that every single person in this room has that has somehow become part of our being. I remember in California learning about something called bioenergetics. And the idea is, is that somehow, somewhere in your body, you carry the evil, the unresolved things, the hurts around with you. And I went to this chiropractor and he said, you know, there are certain things about the way you walk, the way you are, that would suggest that you carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. And I burst into tears because we do carry it. We do have the consequences of people turning away from God in our lives. But there is very, very good news about this. Whatever Christ said, evil couldn't stand it. And Jesus didn't just speak the truth. He is the truth. And evil cannot bear to be around it. His floodlight of truth destroys evil. Satan is the father of lies. And partial truth is a form of lying. And evil is energized and feeds off of fear and partial truth. Jesus isn't partial or incomplete in any way. He is wholeness. He is the truth. It doesn't say in John he portrays the truth. He says, I am the truth, and I am the way, and I am the light of the world. Not partial light or dim light where shadows provide safe harbor for evil, but a floodlight, noonday, cloudless sunlight where nothing can hide. And hiding secrecy is what evil knows as its habitat. The man with the evil spirit, the spirits within him cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? You have come to destroy us? Yeah. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the light of Christ can heal us from the dangers of living by partial truth. The woundedness that manifests itself in many ways particular fears that warp our perspective. The light of Christ can heal and eradicate it. And what happened in the synagogue that day was Christ's presence liberating people from evil. He came to heal us all. He came to heal us all. If a person does not believe that they are in need of healing in some way, somehow in some part of their being, then Jesus Christ has no meaning for them. Then the work of the cross has no meaning for any of us. There is no shame in needing to be healed. It is our common condition. 
And it is something that is by virtue of living in this world that we're going to experience. He came to heal us from our brokenness, from our mistrust, from our physical ailments, from whatever it is that keeps us from receiving love and giving love. I always get nervous when people proclaim that they've got it all together and don't need any healing. And frankly, I don't hear much of that around here. I just want to serve others. I'm great. Well, partial truth destroys our souls. In order to serve others, which we are called to do, we must not be in the dark about who we are. We are imperfect people, but we are gloriously imperfect people. Gloriously imperfect. We are in this together. Christ's light reveals everything, and demons cannot thrive where the truth exists. Truth kills evil. Evil uses lies about ourselves and our inadequacies and tells us that somehow this is shameful and that at our very, very core, we're not lovable. When Christ died in order to love us, whenever we go to Christ and express the truth and say, I know who I am and I know about me and receive his grace, it is our spiritual task to receive unconditional love. That's it. That's our spiritual challenge, to receive the unconditional love of Christ. He redeems everything about us. Everything is fresh and new. And he even gives, the scripture continues, orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly. People followed him everywhere, and that journey continues today. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, why are we so hesitant to admit our brokenness? We live in a culture that proclaims by sheer willpower, guts, determination, strength of character, we can do everything. Forgive us if we buy into that. You made us in your image. You made us with gifts. You gave us abilities. But you made us to be in relationship with you. In an honest relationship with you. Thank you for what you have done in Christ Jesus. Amen.